Hello, adventurers, and welcome to the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria High Fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the high fantasy world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into some of the lore behind Azuria and answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy high fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our first season, we'll explore Aurora, the prequel novella for the Age of Azuria high fantasy series. Episodes 1 and 2 took us through chapters 1 and 2 of Aurora, and so in episode 3, you guessed it, we'll be reading through chapter 3. Episode 3 returns us to Doric's perspective, and so we're going to meet him back at the Aurora Estate. So, let's start our adventure! Following a mid-morning meal with Lawrence on his third day at Aurora, Doric wandered down one of the sunny corridors on the eastern side of the castle. Amélie stood alone on a balcony, looking out across the grounds to the rolling tides of the sea. He stopped short not wishing to disturb her reverie. Master Thimir, she called. Is that you? Doric spun on his heel and bowed. Lady Amastasia, a pleasure to see you this morning. Forgive me, I did not wish to intrude. I don't mind the company. She smiled and scooted to the side so there was room next to her on the small balcony. Doric leaned on the pale gray balustrade. The stone was cold through his linen shirt sleeves. Crisp, salty air flickered across his skin. I grew up by the ocean, Doric said after a few moments of comfortable silence. This beautiful estate of yours brings back many memories of my home. I didn't realize Thiel Seymour was so near to the sea. I thought the city was in the middle of the forest, in the heart of the realms. You are right about that, Lady Amastasia. Doric shook his head. Thiel Seymour is a remarkable city but I was born in Envey-Alenor and moved north when it better suited my parents as they aged. I became an ambassador shortly after their passing. I'm sorry to hear they have passed. She turned from the sea to look at him. When was the last time he had spoken to someone about his parents? They had left the city of their birth in the middle of the night, his father holding the handkerchief his mother used to suppress her sobs. Doric had returned from his travels to find dangerous changes taking place in their home, a growing stranglehold by the pale religious zealots from the Underland. He pushed away the memory and sought one more befitting of Aurora's sunshine. They lived full, beautiful lives. Very few could have hoped for better. My mother especially was grieved by the move at first, but even she came to cherish Lyle Seymour over time. When was the last time that you were in the realms? Doric grinned. He had been worried she would ask how long it had been since his parents had passed. His people operated across timescapes that were difficult for humans to wrap their minds around, especially at first. I had a month's leave in Thiles Thamor before our journey here at Lady Amastasia. Before that, I spent some time in other grand cities, Andal Sahevra most recently, and a few months with a dear friend in Hammerfell. I have heard descriptions of the ancient city of Andal-Sahevra, and Hammerfell is the seat of the dwarves, is it not? Amelie's sapphire eyes sparkled. How exciting! She sighed and gazed back toward the sea. 
I used to wish to travel in my youth, though I'm afraid I've not been as adventurous as I'd planned to be. She sounded so wistful. Forgive me, Lady Amastasia, but why did you not travel? What would be holding back a powerful young woman in a noble court? Our desires change as we grow older, do they not? Her face was half turned toward his. Hmm. A flock of gulls took off from the fields, condensing and expanding in their journey out to sea. I don't know that I could say. In my experience, some desires grow more acute, and we force others to starve. She shot upright from her casual leaning position, scowling. Doric interrupted before she could express her frustration. Would you care to accompany me on a picnic, Lady Amastasia? A flicker of confused surprise crossed her face. Oh, I... I've no wish to cause hurt feelings, but I must come clean and express my whole truth. He grinned and returned his gaze to the birds. The enchanting Duchess Doromir has turned down my invitation, saying that she and the princess will be dining together instead, if you can believe it, so I have come to ask you. Amelie's stance relaxed as she laughed. Why, you must be incredibly discouraged by this turn of events. I am devastated. Doric hung his head in mock defeat. It was true that the Duchess had refused him, but this was a far more enticing opportunity. And the only hope of rejuvenation you might have? She raised an eyebrow, waiting. Is, of course, to dine with you instead. Unless, I concede, the princess has also requested your presence at her table, in which case I must dine outdoors, bereft of companionship and joy. Please say yes. These are high stakes indeed, sir. Very well, I accept your request. Doric smiled and gave a flourishing bow. Excellent, fair lady. Then expect a feast. Doric led Amélie through the southern gardens to a shady spot at the edge of the woods. He spread out a blanket and began unpacking the basket one of the housekeepers had prepared at his direction. Might I ask you something that's been puzzling me? Doric asked as he withdrew a bottle of wine and two glasses. He took Amélie's hand and guided her onto the blanket. You may? Her lips pursed and then spread into a smile. Why is it that in Linolin, men take women's names as one would in a matriarchy, and yet the society is still primarily run by men? Amélie extended her arms and leaned back, staring at the thin white clouds that drifted off the sea. It would be perfectly acceptable for Lenolin to be run by a queen rather than a king, and it might be possible for a king to select female advisors, though I do not know of one having done so for the past several generations at least. More than anything, I suppose, it has to do with our founding. Oh? Doric arranged a plate of food for the lady and one for himself. The woman beside him seemed more relaxed than when she was confined inside the walls of her castle, like a weight had been lifted. Perhaps here she could set aside many of the strictures that undoubtedly governed the life of a noblewoman. I'm afraid I don't know the story, Lady Amastasia, though I should dearly love to hear it, if you would be so kind. Amelie studied him rather than meandering clouds. It is a love story. I, future duchess, have always found that to be the best kind. Mm-hmm. She returned the oval of her face skyward, but glanced at him from the corner of her eye. There was once a beautiful princess. Amelie paused as though the clouds might transform and illustrate her story. Doric nodded. 
A promising beginning, fair lady. Please, continue. A beautiful princess who lived at this very estate. Her doting mother and father had settled to the north and were fashioning a castle for themselves and their future subjects around the foundation of an ancient fortress. As much as they appreciated their first home, it was no place to found a kingdom. The leaves stirred as Amelie's tale began, the forest lending its voice to hers. The princess spent most of her time in the woods around the estate, and each evening she walked through the trees, returning after dark. The area was safe and well-protected, so her parents had little fear of something happening to her. Amelie leaned forward from her reclined position. But the princess had a secret, she whispered. Dork's eyes widened. Amelie was enjoying the tale almost as much as he. If we were to walk a few hours through the woods, she said, we would find the overgrown remains of what was once a sacred stone courtyard. It was there that the princess would meet her lover, Silvris. Each afternoon she was able, and at times, when the two couldn't bear to be apart, in the earliest hours of the morning, when the rest of her household was asleep. Silvris was an elven name, indicative of one who revered or belonged to the forest. Dork had never come across an account that claimed an elven heritage for Linolin. Amelie anticipated his question and shook her head. Her parents knew nothing of their daughter's relationship with the elf. They believed that she simply had a great affinity for the outdoors, as was common for women of noble blood at the time. While their daughter was gallivanting through the forest, they thought alone, they dedicated themselves to the kingdom's future. As we all know, an essential aspect of kingdom establishment is ensuring a proper lineage. The king and queen interviewed a line of suitors and visited them and their families. Eventually, they settled on one of the young princes of Hadvar, our neighbor to the north. And what did the princess think of that? Doric asked. Amelie's voice had an enchanting, hypnotic quality while telling her story. Their present circumstances faded, and he floated out over the world of the tale, watching from above as the folkloric princess fought to determine her own fate. There is a side version of the story that is more widely told, especially in the spring, Amelie said, where a prince of Hadvar and a prince of Serenia fight for the favor of the princess. Some accounts even have her falling madly in love with the dark-haired northern prince. It's meant to explain Linolin's stronger relationship with Hadvar than with Serenia, but truer accounts reveal that her affections lay elsewhere. Lady Amastasia, Dork frowned. Why do you say that these are the less true versions? How do you know? Amelie's fingers rippled through the blades of grass bordering their blanket. I can only tell you the version that my grandmother told me, she grinned. My mother's mother, Olivia, had a feisty way of approaching the world. Her objections were similar to your question. With such a strong social structure, why didn't women wield more power in the kingdom? Her tone turned wistful. I don't know that I could say what she would think of me now. Amelie blinked quickly and looked away. She was the one who taught me to take a closer look at the official count of events, to read as widely as I could, and not solely what the castle scholars chose for us. The women of Alinolin have had enough decided for them, she would say. Amelie's brow contracted as she imitated her grandmother's voice. Her tone was serious, buoyed by an undercurrent of passion and, he sensed, affection. 
but we have a history all our own, she would say. It's your responsibility to learn it and to live it. In you, the story lives on. Doric waited to see if she wished to say more. She sounds like a woman of great wisdom, he added. Lady Anastasia smiled sadly. She truly was. Why had she said her grandmother would be disappointed in her now, or in who she had become? There wasn't an allowance within the rules of decorum that would permit him to inquire. But how many people asked Amelie the more difficult or personal questions? Was that part of what she was looking for? Why she had agreed to this excursion with him? He was reading too much into the situation. Please, Amelie. His voice was soft this first time speaking her name. I'd love to hear more of the story. Yes, she sniffed and sat up straighter. My apologies. Where were we? The king and queen were choosing suitors for their daughter behind her back. Ah, she laughed. Of course. Her storytelling voice returned, welcoming Doric back to the lulling embrace of its waves. The princess was understandably distressed by this news, and she threatened to flee the kingdom forever if her parents would not relent. The various versions differ in this aspect as well. Depending on who is telling the story, her betrothed was already in love with her or was very prideful. And which was her version of events or her grandmother's? Amelie grinned, anticipating his question again. I don't know that one precludes the other, but the pridefulness seems rather certain. Whatever the case, she took a sip of the medium-bodied red wine he'd selected for their meal. The Hedvarian prince and his soldiers made their way south, past the new castle, to the family's estate. He promised the king and queen to woo their daughter and bring her back with him to the new capital, where they would be wed. Doric shoved away thoughts of the similarities between what he had witnessed of Amélie's unhappiness, trapped in the responsibilities of her role, and the story she was telling of a princess torn between her duty and her forbidden love. The lady was simply being polite and sharing some of Linolin's folklore, nothing beyond that. Her sapphire eyes pulled him closer. The fair princess can't have been pleased with this plan, he said, leaning toward Amélie. She lowered her voice to continue the story, keeping the princess's confidence across the centuries. Like any true heroine, the princess had not been idle during this time. She and Silvris planned to run away together, hoping they might find shelter in a community beyond the boundaries of Caldara, where no one knew them. But the princess was afraid. She loved her home, the forest and the ocean she'd known all her life. They were part of her, and she feared that if she left, she would surrender a core part of herself. An understandable sentiment, Dork added quickly. His mother had been certain she would never love a place so well as in Vey Eleanor. She'd mourned for weeks after they were forced to flee. Amelie sat back and her eyes softened regarding him. The princess was blessed in her choice of partner in this regard. Silvris also treasured these woods, loving them all the more for bringing him together with his love. On the night the two were to meet and run away together, the elf and his companions transformed the courtyard into a woodland temple so that they might be married before they left, forever binding part of themselves with the forest they so cherished. The princess sneaked out of the castle, moving silently along the forest path. Unbeknownst to her, the prince had commanded his guards to follow her and find out where she went each night. Several days prior, they discovered the lovers and reported the news back to their sovereign. Enraged by this betrayal, the Hedvarian prince ordered that the elf and his companions be killed. 
Had the princess agreed to the betrothal, Doric asked eyes wide, what kind of man would resort immediately to such violence? Yet another murky area in the stories, Amelie said. I like to believe the princess hadn't, she frowned. But the time is past that we might know for certain. The prince's commander was a dutiful man. It grieved him to treat the beautiful princess and her beloved so cruelly, and he had begged the prince to reconsider, to speak with her first before executing the attack. Amelie lowered her head. The prince refused. He ordered his commander to see it done. So on this final night, the commander, torn between his conscience and his ruler, decided to allow the couple a single kindness before they were parted forever. He and his men waited until the princess had greeted her elven lover and the two had exchanged a passionate kiss before they swept into the circle, killing everyone except the princess and the man she loved. How horrible, Dork whispered. If the traditions of these forgotten elves living across the ocean were similar, very few at the ceremony would have been armed save the couple themselves, girded to stride out into the world together and find their fate. The Fae of old were said to forgo violence on days of wedding celebrations, the couple's loving union inspiring a sense of camaraderie even between long-standing enemies. Amelie nodded. Silver stood guard in front of the princess. He cried out at the loss of his companions and drove back the soldiers, but he was one against many. The troops surrounded the pair, and the commander faced Silverus, both men with swords in hand. I swear on my life no harm will befall her, the commander said. Amelie held out one hand and laid the other on her chest, imitating the leader's plea to the elf. She shook her head, her eyes narrowing as she embodied another role. I'll not subject myself to such cruelty, the princess shouted. She turned her short blade away from the circle of soldiers and toward herself. Amelie set her jaw, imitating the princess's determination. Silverus and the commander were both grieved by this declaration, she continued, for they knew that the world would be a darker place without her in it. Amelie inhaled deeply. Silverus spun around to face his beloved. He wrapped his fingers around her wrist and begged her to reconsider. Tears poured from his eyes and washed down his face, knowing the burden he was asking her to take on so that she might live. Doric blinked back a few tears of his own. Something about this story was deeply personal to the woman beside him. The emotion of it emanated from her, too much to be contained inside a single heart. Amelie's voice had grown slightly hoarse. With the princess's attention fixed on Silverus, the commander seized his opportunity. He stabbed the elf in the back, ripped out his sword, and spun around to restrain the princess. Amelie sniffled. Silverus's last vision was the face of his beloved. The only outward sign that he had passed was a flash of pain and confusion before he began to fall away from her toward the earth's embrace. Amelie's expression brightened slightly, her lips curling upward. But she was the only one to see, as they carried her away, the final spark of life in his green eyes and his lips whisper, I love you, before he grew forever still. Dork sighed and sat back. He returned her smile. I wouldn't have taken you as someone fond of sad endings, Amelie. She chuckled in reply. There's a little bit more, and then you can judge the happiness or sadness of the tale and its teller. The elf inclined his head. Had she asked, he would have confessed that the storyteller, for all her loveliness, seemed to him much sadder than he would have ever had her be, and that, 
unlike the woman in this story, whose fate was now beyond anyone's aid, he wished he could do something to help her find a new way forward. The princess was closely watched in the days that followed. She returned to her parents in their new castle to be married to the Hedvarian prince. Her spirit seemed broken after Silrus's death, and she consented to the union. Early the next year, she gave birth to a beautiful child, named after his father in the forest where they met, Sylvan. Her child was half-elven, then, Dwork was relieved his voice didn't quaver as he spoke. That he was, Amelie grinned. The princess had one final card to play, and it forever changed the fate of her young kingdom. One summer, while her husband was away in Hadvar, she had written into law that the family name in Linolin would pass down the matrilineal line. It's in her honor that Linolin's noblewomen select a name beginning with a vowel for their eldest daughter. Doric sat back, considering. Such a beautiful tribute to the princess's legacy, in addition to her own commemoration of the influence of matrilineal heritage. He nodded in approval. Oh, and the princess? What was her name? Amelie surveyed her estate and glanced at the woods behind her. Aurora. The Dawnbringer, of course. Her self-satisfied smile was infectious. Lady Amastasia, a final question. The courtyard from the story, is it still there? It is, as far as I know. I haven't been in some time. Dork coughed politely to clear his throat. If you cared to visit it, I would love to accompany you. I would like to see it again, her eyes wandered back over to him, and I would be quite cross if you didn't come along with me. So that was chapter three of Aurora, the prequel novella for the Age of Azuria high fantasy series. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks, for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. You can find out more about the world of Azuria, including a lovely fantasy map, at bethballbooks.com welcome. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at bethballauthor or on Twitter at groveguardian. Today's episode is sponsored by the first novel in the Age of Azuria high fantasy series, Buried Heroes, available at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite bookseller. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.